Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Frame and Sequence podcast. My name is Todd Rittendero, and in this episode, I sit down with New Orleans-based hotelier, restaurateur, and storyteller, Robert LeBlanc. I've always been fascinated with storytelling through food and hospitality experiences, and Robert is one of the people who does it best. His restaurants in New Orleans are some of my favorite culinary experiences in the world, and his newly opened hotel, The Chloe, a renovated mansion on St. Charles Avenue in New Orleans, is truly a -a one-of-a-kind place. In this episode, we talk about the important early influences his family had on him growing up, his entrepreneurial adventures in the music industry and how music influences him creatively, and we talk about how and why he decided to make the leap into opening restaurants and eventually a hotel. We also talk about how he approaches spaces and projects creatively, the importance of a good playlist, and much, much more. It was a real treat to spend some time talking with Robert on a rainy afternoon in New Orleans, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Robert, I am so excited to be sitting down with you uh, in your beautiful new hotel, the Chloe on St. Charles oh, Avenue, on a rainy Friday afternoon in New Orleans, which is like perfect. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Thanks, man. No, and, I appreciate it. I'm yeah, excited I've, to be here. I'm really excited to ask you a bunch of questions because I've admired so many of the restaurants that you've had in town, and Sylvain is uh, probably still one of my absolute favorites. When I, Thank you. During the pandemic, when I was sort of making my list of like, which restaurants do I really miss? Sylvain was definitely the top of the list. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Thank you, man. Yeah, yeah. It's been but um, I'm super fascinated about how you arrived to where you are today. And I'd love to just, just love to ask you about your family growing up in Louisiana and... and sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I was fortunate enough, I grew up with a great family dynamic. My parents were both um, loving and supportive and believed in us and allowed us to take chances, but they also provided us with the discipline and the feedback that I've really drawn upon to accomplish things in, in life. And we grew up as part of a big family. My, my dad was one of 14 kids. My oh, mom wow. was one of seven. And <laughs> Incredible. Um, that's where the name LeBlanc Smith comes from. I remember very vividly from an early age, parties at the LeBlanc house and parties at the Smith house. And they were both incredibly welcoming to everyone. But the LeBlancs are a line of architects and engineers. And so the LeBlanc home was always really well appointed. It wasn't lavish, but my grandfather had impeccable tastes. We were always listening to classical music. My grandmother was an amazing cook, and so she'd make these coarse meals. My grandfather's tradition was to make Sazeracs for the family. We'd all have a Sazerac together before we sat for dinner. And everything that you experienced viscerally in our in our venues, I really learned from the little blonde side. Oh, wow. The Smith side was, a, was the Irish side of my family. Um, Terrence Smith, my great-great-grandfather, was an orphan in County Cabin, Ireland, and he immigrated here to the United States when he was eight years old. And he actually worked on the docks 200 yards in front of the front door of Cabin, our oh, restaurant, okay. which is so named. Um, and he grew up in the Irish Channel. And uh, because he was an orphan, family and neighbors and friends were always really important to him. And so I, at the Smith parties, I don't remember, I don't ever remember exactly what we ate or drank, but I always remember that it was a collection of not just first cousins, but third cousins, and it wasn't just family, it was neighbors, and it was neighbors' family. And essentially anybody who didn't have someplace else to be for the holidays couldn't go back home. They were all welcome and felt completely at home at the Smith House. And so that's how I've always wanted to make people feel. It was always, the, the, the soundtrack was always laughter as well. And so you'd be there for three hours, but it felt like 30 minutes. And so that's why we named the company LeBlanc Smith, is because what you experience viscerally are things that I experienced as a child in the LeBlanc home and what we want you to experience emotionally. This idea of I see you, I love you, everybody's welcome, everybody's home, and every day is to be filled with laughter. That That is something that I experienced with the Smith parties. Wow. And so um, that's that's my family dynamic, and I realize I'm very fortunate. <laughs> what an incredible way to grow up. Those yeah, like elaborate it, it, was, it, was, it was special. I, and I grew up at home in Louisiana, 
amongst a great community. And I learned the value of community and the value of we is always stronger than I and developed a tremendous work ethic. All, all of my friends from home um, all worked very hard at what they, what they did. And, and diligence was kind of a theme that was common to all of us. Despite different interests, backgrounds, we played different sports. We pursued different things professionally. But we always had that in common. And I think that's another aspect that I was very fortunate to learn early on is this idea of diligence and work ethic. And, and those things when you're a child you don't always appreciate those things sometimes those things frankly are quite frustrating but it's one of those things it's the beauty of age and growing and developing as you're learning is how valuable all these things were and so that's that's my family dynamic that i am very grateful for and i draw upon that all the time i face some adversity in life and we all do but because of, of that foundation i always had the confidence and the strength to to endure right so oh, incredible. Yeah. Um, and then from a professional context, so I tell everybody all the time, LeBlanc and Smith really is just a failed record label. Um, <laughs> That's what I'd love to get into next, because music was one of your first passions, right? Before, yeah, 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 it still is. It still is. You know, my life has been defined by uh, taking the road less traveled. I've always been comfortable, and this is, uh, this is where I draw back to my parents, because they always supported me when, when I took the, the less conventional route. When I was choosing colleges, I could have gone to universities that were maybe more prestigious than Loyola University in New Orleans, and I could have um, played football at programs that were far superior to playing basketball at Loyola, but playing basketball at Loyola felt right in my heart. Mm -hmm. So I just made that choice, never looked back, zero hesitation and zero regrets. I had an opportunity upon graduating college to work at Citigroup to be an equity finance trader uh, on Wall Street. Wow. Basically, I was an economics and finance major. I love math. I'm a little bit of a math nerd. Um, and I appreciated that job because it was a lot of analysis, a lot of numbers, and I really enjoyed that. But I had the opportunity with my best friend in college. Loyola's got a great music school, and we went to school with a bunch of really talented musicians. And my f friend was managing all these bands and kind of booking shows, and he needed help. And, and he proposed this idea of starting a record label and comparing a Wall Street job to starting a record label of really cool New Orleans musicians here in New Orleans. It was just a no-brainer. So I made that <laughs> right. choice. A lot more and, soul there. And didn't look back. And we were fortunate enough to work with fantastic artists. And, and frankly, that's where I learned everything about aesthetics and attention to detail. I, I think I've always appreciated good music, good mm -hmm. art. I had no idea what it really meant or what it really took. And so working with those bands to design posters for concerts and the consternation between this photograph or that photograph and how important those minute decisions are and recording the same drum track over and over for 12 hours to get it just right. Those things were incredible in my development process. And so having that record label really created the context for everything we do with LeBlanc and Smith. And we worked with some brilliant musicians. We were terrible at selling records though. <laughs> um, through my fault and my partner's fault, we, we probably released six albums. We sold 13 of them, and my mom bought like nine of those 13. <laughs> but it's where we learned everything. So the company, we used to promote concerts and, and host events and, and produce um, fashion shows and do guerrilla marketing campaigns for clients to raise money for the record label. And what ended up happening is our last band was an indie rock band called World Leader Pretend, really, really talented group of guys. They got signed by Warner Brothers, and that was kind of our last music act. Wow. So we started promoting events and concerts full time, which led to a music venue that we started, Republic New Orleans, oh, yeah. which led into a couple of hotel bars, one of which is Loa, right. um, which led us into Sylvain. And so we've come full circle, and I like to tell everybody that we 
now with LeBlanc Smith own a record label again because we give all of the venues autonomy. We, we set the vision and the values, but we really let the talent at the spaces curate the cocktail list, curate the music, curate the menus, um, as long as it is in line with the vision and the values of the place. And so we're back to having a record label, but instead of having drummers who are insane and impossible to corral, we have chefs. And instead of having high maintenance lead singers and guitar players who command all the attention, we have beverage directors. And instead of having bass players holding it all together, right. we have general managers of restaurants. And so um, we're back to having a record label again. I, love and that I wouldn't idea. have it any other way. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to dive into the early days of Sylvain, just from a total outsider perspective. I'm not from New Orleans, but when I moved here and thought in my mind what a quintessential New Orleans experience would be, and walking into Sylvain is sort of that idea in my head without the cliches, if that yeah. makes sense. You walk down this beautiful, you know, brick little alley into this courtyard, you know, draped in palm fronds and cool bar and a great soundtrack and Sazerac's going by. It's just like, <laughs> it's killer. That's cool. Uh, thank you, and I appreciate uh, how well people like you in New Orleans at, at large received that restaurant. It was a somewhat innovative restaurant at the time because it was casual. Mm-hmm. We blurred the line between restaurant and bar. It was a place you'd feel equally comfortable sitting at a table for just cocktails as yeah. you would sitting at the bar for a full meal, and that didn't really exist in New Orleans at the time. Right. And it was really well received, and the community of New Orleans supporting us and believing in us early on and being accepting of a lot of mistakes that we made allowed us to learn and grow and really become a great institution. And so we're, we're really clear that that community that was New Orleans in our first year, year and a half, made that restaurant. But for us with Sylvain, it, it, it's, it's like every project we do. The, the foundation, the bedrock of what we do is the buildings in which they're located. So at LeBlanc Smith, when we create a place, we never start with an idea. We never say, we want to do an Italian restaurant, let's go find a place to do an Italian restaurant. We always start with these really cool buildings. And so we try to find buildings that are magical, oftentimes in disrepair, that we can restore and invite the world back in to enjoy. Right. And that's the first thing. And so when, when you talk about Sylvain, it's that entryway. It's all those things have been there for 200 years. We can't take credit for that. We just can take credit for not getting in the way of that beautiful building. And so if you find the right buildings, then then the, the, most of the work is done for you. And the next thing that we always think about is we think about the history of the building. And so we do a deep dive on the history of our buildings and we can tell you when they were built, we can tell you every resident that lived there from wow. the time that, <laughs> that is it incredible. was built and, and we have it. And we put these archives together and, and we find cool stories. Um, we work with a brilliant company called uh, My House Stories. And we find these cool newspaper articles and things like that. So we dig on the history of the buildings or the neighborhoods. And when we, when we build the idea for the restaurant, we try to honor the history and the traditions that existed in those buildings. And right. that's the next layer in defining what this is going to be. I think, and, I think that's one of the things that I admire so much about the spaces that you do is that they all do have a sense of story. And, and I feel like that's becoming more and more of a thing that people are seeking out. Like, you know, we're so immersed in our digital lives and having that physical experience where you you know you, you might have a preconception of what a space might be or what a meal might be but you guys really take it up to a level. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. We 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 approach it as being stewards of these buildings for some time. Yeah. They're not really our buildings. They're not really our spaces. They're just ours for now. It's just our it's more of a responsibility or a privilege frankly 
and learning all the stories of the people who were stewards of those buildings before us helps us to to honor what they did to create the context of what the spaces are then right and and so that's how we come up with our menu so so a really clear example of that is, is Longway Tavern for instance and so that is so named because there was a, a couple who lived there named Rourke and Mary Rose Bradford and they lived there in the late 20s and the 30s and he was an editor at the time speaking and they were both artists and writers neither one of them drank but because they were writers they were somewhat nocturnal and so they always hosted people at their houses but people would always stop by Rourke and Mary Rose's on their way home from Galatoire's Arnaud's and Antoine's either to get coffee grits and eggs to sober up or to get one last drink for before <laughs> going home and so they would always stop by the Bradford home to take the long way home and so hence the oh. name long way tavern <laughs> that is and awesome so, i um, love that we designed the cocktail menu and the food menu to be the same thing and so we, we love sylvain we love mobar we love all the restaurants in the quarter all of them are kind of hard to just pop into unannounced for a impromptu snack or dinner right. and um and Longway was designed specifically to be able to do that. You really, there's no reservations. You pop in any time. And even if it's packed, if you wait 10 or 15 minutes, you'll get down. And yeah. so it's that idea that existed in that building when Rourke and Mary Rose just pop by. I love and, that idea. And, and you that can is, get a that's spot. also so, so New Orleans, too. Yeah. So <laughs> so so we, we designed that place to be a place that people went to on their way to or leaving from other occasions that might exist in the quarter because there's so many amazing things. Right. Why Jax is right there. Brennan's is right around the corner. Antoine's is right around the corner. Arnaud's is down the block. So designing it that way was informed by the history of the building. So that's really, really important to us. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Spectacular. Thank you. <laughs> I also read in uh, one of your uh, bios that I found online that I just absolutely loved is that the when you look at a room, you ask yourself the first question, what type of music should we be playing here? Always. And I think Always. that's like amazing to start with a soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> Always, you know, that, that's what provides, I mean, our lives are set to a soundtrack. You can hear a song, whether you like it or not. If you heard that song enough at some point in your life, it brings back memories and moments in life. And so I think music is the most important for me, and this is a subjective statement. I'm not applying this to everyone. Sure. But for me, music is the most important marker of the history of my life. And by that, I mean um, songs that mean a lot to me, songs that I still know and love they are typically identified with something that was going on in my life at that very moment that I heard and loved that song. Sometimes great things, sometimes really challenging things. And so I've always felt like having that tone and that background being really important for the setting and the way we want people to feel. And um, and it's important to us. We want to have some of the best food in the city. We want to have some of the best drinks in the city. We want to have some of the best service, the best hospitality, the best design. But we really, really predicate what we do upon making guests feel something and if you get the music right it's so easy to feel with the right music and so that's that's a it's it's an important element to us as the menu is certainly as the design maybe more important so absolutely that's that's the framework that's very cool this just this is an aside note. Do, do, does each place have its own Spotify list, or who who makes those? So we're doing Spotify lists before. Now things are getting a little bit complex, and the Spotify playlists are starting to, you know, some of the same songs you're kind of hearing over and over again. And look, right. there's some great iconic classic songs that apply to all of them. But we're working with a cool company called Gravy now. Oh. I'm not sure if you're familiar with these I'm guys, not, but. No. So they do these custom lists, but they use algorithms. And and what I can do is I have a back end, and I can log in and just kind of listen to what's going on at any point, and I can thumbs up songs that I think are appropriate and perfect. I can kind of thumbs down or cancel songs off of lists that aren't appropriate. So 
it's a more intuitive way than building a Spotify list. It's a it's a more infinite way for us to create lists that evoke that feeling, but without the redundancy that often happens with a Spotify playlist. Right. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So it's a cool. It's a really cool company, and we've only started working with them since reopening after COVID. Right. But they've been fantastic, and they're all ex DJs, and so as you can imagine yeah. their library of music and their range is so much more significant than my range is or could be given my time constraints so it's also been fun for me because one of the things i really love to do is find new music listen to new music and you know i listened to tul when i was younger i'm doing all the spotify release radar stuff now and yeah. just kind of digging digging in in virtual crates if you will to find new stuff i'm going down wormholes of cool new artists that I find and you know fans also like and try to dig in but with gravy I've been turned on to so much new cool music without having to spend nearly as much time and I think that is something I hope that our guests experience as well you can just with Soundhound these days you know you just hear something cool in one of our spots Soundhound it and you got a new yeah. new song or new band which Incredible. is fun yeah <laughs> I mean you also have a, a very refined sense of visual design and and making sure all the elements are working together. I'm sure you also have big teams of people for that, but where do, where do you feel like you developed your visual eye for details? Um, music, oh. music, designing uh, designing album covers, designing posters. I didn't produce the music, so I didn't write any music. I, didn't, I wasn't responsible for the engineering or anything in, in the recording music, but I was there. I was helping the bands. I was kind of the blocking and tackling guy. So um, just learning the attention to detail that these brilliant artists put into their work taught me the level of refinement you need to have and how important it is to be to be very granular and then the other thing that's important to us is is, is back to that idea of, of feeling and so for us at leblanc smith what's really important is to make sure that we inspire people with design and the design tells a story so you'll see some things we at leblanc smith we always talk about it's really important to to honor you know you you use one leg to honor the history the traditions the culture of new orleans and, uh, and of where we are and you use the other to make a firm and clear expression of what we think 21st century New Orleans can and should look like. Right. And so everything that we curate is a hybrid of that. Some things are classic and some things are modern pieces from modern artists or makers here in New Orleans. They're all very intentional. We know where everything comes from. We think that's important. So that's we don't just have pieces that we grab and throw on there just because they look cool. We have to know where it came from, what estate it came from, what it meant to someone who's in the picture so right. um that's important and, and and it gives a sense of place and we can tell that story when people ask and so uh, that's a critical component for of our design is knowing where everything from where everything comes the other thing is we want people to enjoy our spaces and be inspired but mm -hmm. we truly want them to have fun and so it's important for us that we don't design things to be too delicate we don't want to create any sense of anxiety amongst the guests that they might mess something up. And so in LeBlanc Smith spaces, including Chloe, which we're very proud of, no one should ever feel guilty for laughing too loudly, for, for doing a shot of whiskey, or accidentally dropping and breaking a glass of red wine. Right. Um, nothing is delicate. Everything is meant to be enjoyed. And so the other part of our design is we, we like to leave things a little bit lived in. You know, we believe that these buildings tell amazing stories. And if you eliminate all the flaws of the building, then you eliminate a lot of the history and the stories, and you eliminate the reality of some of the lives lived. And I think you can see that really clearly in Cabin specifically, because it was a family home for a long, long time. And so when we restored Cabin, we made it a point not to sand everything down. A lot of the scars of the building are intact, 
because it exemplifies all of the many lives lived in that building. And we think that's important. And you see those things and you feel things. You feel a sense of place, but you're also reminded that things aren't delicate. You're not going to hurt anything. This building's been here for 130 years. So we want you to relax and have fun. You're not in a museum. Um, You're not in an art gallery. You're in a hospitality space, and it's meant for you to, to enjoy. So there's nothing that we include in our spots that is not meant to be engaged with guests. So there's no chair that's too delicate for you to sit in. There's nothing that's put there just to be this piece of art that you couldn't physically take off the wall and look at it closer if you if you wanted to. Right. Um, and that's important to us. I love that idea, especially in New Orleans when so much new construction comes about. I feel like too many edges get straightened. Yeah, totally. <laughs> too many light bulbs turn to LED. Yeah, it, you know, it kind of applies to my philosophy. You know, some of the some of the bands that I love most, some of the art that resonates with us most are those with flaws. Those with obvious flaws, because I think in those flaws, that's where humanity exists and lives. And, and this is my own theory about music, but I, uh, and it's also very subjective, and I'm not knocking the Beatles. I think the Beatles are great. But I think the Beatles are probably far superior musicians to the Rolling Stones, but the Rolling Stones are equally beloved because they were open and honest about their flaws, and they leaned into their mistakes and they performed live. And the Beatles never did nearly as much. And so I think it's an example. Of, and I'm not making a subjective claim on whose songs are better, but I think that you know, the Rolling Stones became as big as the Beatles, not because they were perfect, but quite the opposite, because they were human. They were really fucking good, but they were human. Right. And I, I think that humanity is important. And so, you know, to your point, we leave those things busted up. We want to create excellent experiences. We don't want to make mistakes and we don't want to be sloppy, but we do want the scars of right. a life well lived For sure. to remain intact. <laughs> Were there any sort of key lessons that you learned at Sylvain that either you had to pivot from or, you know, sort of tweak to, to the other spaces? Yeah, we didn't know how to run restaurants when we opened Sylvain, and we're still learning how to run restaurants. And what we learned early on is that if you give a lot of love to people, the people that work with you and the people that support you, and you're willing to work hard to make it right, if people know that you care, they'll carry you they'll forgive you for a lot of mistakes we made a ton of mistakes early on at Sylvain and when I look back based on my 10 years of experience today when I look back on those mistakes it's mortifying but because we cared and because people knew that we were trying to do better and we were trying to get it right we were able to continue to grow and and we grew into a restaurant company that is born Mobar and Longway and Cabin and Barrel Proof and Barracuda and so all that was a result of people right in the first year and a half, two years at Sylvain, forgiving us and giving us an opportunity to make it right or to make it up to them. Yeah. And that was crucial. Yeah. No, I love that idea. Yeah. Going back to something you said earlier about a personal philosophy and approach, do you feel like you covered what that philosophy was or is it multi-layered? Well, I think, so um, we're not self-important about what we do with restaurants, but neither do we think it's frivolous or trivial either. I, I think we have a tremendous platform in a particularly disconnected world because everyone is interacting digitally now and people are getting together less and less, right. particularly in a COVID environment, that we think we can get people with diverse belief systems, different backgrounds, and different socioeconomic conditions together at a table or a bar for shared experiences involving food and drinks and remind everybody that we have so much more in common than we have that divides us. Yeah. I think the second part of that is we can create joy for people, just a little bit of joy on a daily basis. And and those two things are really powerful things that drive our company all the time. And so um, we 
LeBlanc Smith's vision very clearly is to create excellent 21st century Southern hospitality experiences that bring communities together to enable all people to live joyful, balanced, and fulfilling lives. And we're really clear, and that's that's our North Star, and that's how we, we approach everything. And I don't think I've ever thought about it in, in such an evolved way, but you know, frankly, that's probably my personal true North as well. Yeah. So I never really thought that I was personalizing the company as much as, as I have, but in hindsight and in retrospect, having conversations with really interesting people like you who ask really good questions, it's forced me to think about that, and it's all very, very personal. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. You can feel it, too. I mean, Thank each space, you. it definitely feels personal. It feels very layered and, you know, it's a, not to sound cliche, There's it's a deeper experience when you go into Long Way or Sylvain or here. Thank you. At the Chloe. Thank um, you very much. Yeah, no, it's uh, they're really special places. We, we want to give everybody a sense that, you know, our first value in our company is this idea of I see you, I love you. Yeah. Um, and it means everybody counts. And, you know, we, we apply all these values and this vision to our team members as equal, in equal measure as we apply it to our guests. But, um, man, people are magical, and everybody deserves a shot, and everybody deserves to feel completely at home and welcome to sit and stay as long as you at like at least some place in this world. And we want our places to be spots for people to feel that. Right. And we mean that. And, um, you know, we feel that same way about everybody on our team. There's not one single person who, if they walked out of the door, the whole thing wouldn't fall down. Right. I mean, everybody's that important to us. And, right. um, yeah, we just, we, we think about that every day, uh, truly. Yeah, I love every that day. idea. Thank you. Are you as curated in your personal life as you are with your spaces? No, I'm not. <laughs> I am pretty specific about the music I listen to. I try to walk every morning and listen to music every morning. I'll listen to stuff on repeat. I will jump in and out of genres depending on where I am in life from a mood standpoint. Mm -hmm. w with the exception of music, no, I'm not. I mean, I, I have a wonderful wife and have two amazing kids. And what's really important to me is when I'm home is just to be present sure. and not just physically present, like I'm home. I'm listening to them. I'm I'm doing things with them. I'm not returning texts or emails or looking over their shoulders to see what's going on with the news and things like that. And so, I feel like I engage as deeply mm -hmm. at, at home in my personal life, but I don't think it's as well curated. I mean, I think that my wife Danielle will tell you that she sometimes gets a little frustrated that I don't put as much time, effort, or attention into the design of our home as I do the design of all of our spaces. I can imagine it's a lot to tackle. Yeah, no doubt. Do you have any personal systems for time management and organization managing multiple? Yeah, so I think this has never been diagnosed, but just knowing my temperament and kind of how things tick, I think I have ADHD mm. probably. And so what I've had to do, so I'd literally spend a whole day, you know, I was one of those guys that would, would, would have 200 emails in my inbox. I'd, I'd spend six hours returning 130 of them, 140 of them hit send and receive at two o'clock, I'd get 60 of them back or 70 <laughs> of them back. So I'd work from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. just returning emails all day. And so organization and organizational discipline was not my thing. So what I've had to do to correct that is I've had to have a very structured routine in my day. So uh, my morning routine is the same exact routine every day. So I will uh, wake up without an alarm between five and 6 a.m. I drink two 32 ounce glasses of ice water Mm -hmm. First thing of the day, I think hydration is really, really important. Um, I wouldn't say I'm hyper religious. I am spiritual, so I spend the first five minutes of my day. I'll put on like a five minute kind of ambient song, and I'll think about people in my life that need good thoughts, prayers. I typically think about my family and anybody in my life that I know 
that is challenged, either lost a loved one, is dealing with cancer. Um, and I'll spend about five minutes doing that. I'll spend five minutes in another song thinking about gratitude, things that happened the day before for which I'm grateful or that I enjoyed. And it can't be big things. It's not my health or you know my kids or anything like that. It's very granular things. Right. So tomorrow morning, this conversation will be one of my things. And you know, I just spend five minutes reflecting on all the good things that happened the day before. And then I'll spend 10 minutes meditating. Um, just complete silence and I get distracted a lot when I do that as you can imagine sure. but I've learned the art of meditation is not to be in complete silence and stillness for 10 minutes it's to recenter if you get distracted so and that's helped me develop the ability to focus a lot better so I don't get as easily distracted in life as a result of my meditation um, and then I'll spend five or six minutes writing down the objectives that I want to accomplish in the day mm -hmm. you know things that, that are going to take some time and, and important projects that move the needle forward um, and then I'll go exercise and then I'll come home and kind of start my work day. Yeah. I'll see the kids off. By the time I get home, I'll see the kids off at of school, and then I'll work. And then my evenings are typically dictated by family first, mm -hmm. or if I have meetings or dinners or obligations, sure. I'll do that. But, yeah, so if I have that very strict morning routine, and I've had that pretty consistently for a couple of years, I, I'm great. If I don't do that, if I just get up and start rolling, I'll spin out. I'll have days a day and a half where like you know I'll get things done and I'll reactively accomplish things but I won't really move the ball forward on any vision type things right that are important to me I'm the exact same way yeah it's crazy <laughs> I need that little bit of structure in the morning yeah it is funny yeah yeah I'd love to ask you just a little bit about how you guys approach branding do you work with different designers for each space or do work you work with Jason Hamill he's my best friend he's my youngest son's godfather oh, and wow. um we don't do anything without talking to Jason. So from a conceptual standpoint, Chloe's a really good example. We've been talking about this hotel, but I can never wrap my head around a 150 room building in a business district that just didn't seem like, like that would be driven by real estate development, not by hospitality. And I just couldn't figure it out. And this idea of doing a really small hotel that's still primarily driven by hospitality made a lot of sense. But this is, a, this is an idea that Jason and I have been honing together um, forever. And so not only everything that you see brand digital is a result of Jason Hamill but everything we do is a result of a lot of discovery and vetting with Jason we push each other the, the long way name is a really good example and, and certainly what that logo looks like but how we approach everything yeah. is um, and I'm really lucky to have him as a creative partner frankly and because we're such close friends we probably get far more run from him as our visual brand director than most companies get right um, so so yeah we work with the same same gentleman jason hamill and oh, uh very cool um, and he's also very good at and predicated upon telling those stories the right way and really cleanly yeah no i love all the branding and thank you and all the in all the spaces for sure i i was going to ask you specifically too about uh Barrel Proof. Yeah. Uh, I remember the first time I walked into that, it felt like you were walking into some kind of bar from the 1920s in like Storyville or something. It was like candlelit bar, just beautifully executed wood everywhere. It's a primarily bourbon whiskey bar, right? Yeah. Best things I think we've done are the things that are the most personal expressions. And um, my partner and I, Liam, we're both dive bar guys, truly at heart. But we don't think that, that you have to compromise the quality of products, even though you're in a dive bar setting. And so... It was really important for us that Barrel Proof, Barrel Proof was a neighborhood bar. It was Bridge Lounge when we bought it. Oh, right, And right. we had a lot of guys who worked in the machine shops would come for happy hour. And it was really important to us that whatever became, once we finished it, with it, 
those guys would still feel comfortable coming and they would still come and they do which we love and so what i love about barrel proof is i think depending on your perspective it is that thing so if you're really into cocktails or nice whiskeys it's a great cocktail and whiskey bar but if you're just into great neighborhood bars great dive bars where you're just totally comfortable getting a high life or a rolling rock and a shot of whiskey it's that bar too and that was really important for us to execute that and i think people really appreciate that lens and, and it also gives you the context for a bar that you can really engage any occasion i know bars for a while had a really irresponsible reputation understandably so and we've got to be responsible not to allow people to drink too much and to get physically assaulted or sexually assaulted we are responsible for people's safety and right. people not driving home and not drinking too much and, and, and doing operating bikes and things so, so we, we, we take that responsibility seriously but we really believe in the idea of a bar being a hub for community and being a place that people can duck into no matter where they are in life so if you're sad and sullen and melancholic you can sit at the end of the bar and kind of just be with your thoughts and that's really important or if you just launched a new podcast and you're really excited about it want to grab a couple of drinks to celebrate you can do that at barrel proof as well if you guys might be on a date and you wanted someplace to go before or after having dinner that would be a place that's comfortable you know and familiar if you're with an unfamiliar companion on, on a first date or an early date like barrel proof's also that place and so uh, we were really intentional about its simplicity and um, barrel proof was an interesting part of my development because I learned there that sometimes just enough, but not too much. <laughs> and I think yeah. that's what Barrel Proof is. Yeah, I love you that know? idea, yeah. Um, just enough, but not too much. Great cocktail list, but it's not every cocktail in the world. Right. Great whiskey list and beer list, but it's not every whiskey and beer in the world. I really love the design there. I think it's really good, but it's not too much. It's still corrugated steel and wood. Right. So, um, But it all works so well together that it has a definitive aesthetic attitudinally we want to very much be you know we the, the motto at barrel proof on the light switch you know most companies have their visions and values on the walls and all this stuff on our light switch at barrel proof it's dark loud with a stiff pour so yeah <laughs> Great keep motto. it simple yeah keep it simple exactly thanks for saying that about barrel proof though that place is really special to us and in this in the covid situation that's the one that's got hit in the hardest oh yeah gosh. Um, and i know that you know people not so much locally. I think New Orleans has always appreciated the value of a good bar, particularly a neighborhood bar, and how important they are to communities. But nationally, you know, people are looking at bars. People are real sympathetic to restaurants. That's most of our holdings. But people look at bars kind of like, ah, screw them, you know? Right. Let them die. Let them burn. But we think bars are crucial to the framework of community, and we think bars are crucial. If they're responsibly run, and, again, if you're protecting people and you're not, not letting people drink too much and drive and... You know, no one's endangered in terms of their emotional safety or their physical safety. Right. Um, they're, they're really important to Fabric, and they're one of the last bastions of community in this increasingly digital world. Yeah, it's very uh, true. It's one of the few types of places you could pop into unplanned or unannounced and maybe run into someone that you're not familiar with yet that could become right. a pal yeah. just through a shared experience. Absolutely. And uh, that's really important, in my opinion. It's truly important and it's very undervalued in terms of how it leads to creating a social fabric upon which humans have always and will always rely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like New Orleans especially allows for those serendipitous moments. Um, yeah, I've always running into people at Sylvaner uh, Barrel Proof on the way home. <laughs> you, yeah, you're, you know, it's interesting, your podcast, I know that 
the foundation of it is storytelling and people always people always ask why New Orleans is so, so magical why it resonates with people you know everybody's had a good experience in New Orleans and I think it's certainly the southern hospitality that is omnipresent here but I think it's the fact that New Orleans in general, it's just a 300 year old city and there's a lot of crazy things that have happened here and by nature, most people in New Orleans are great storytellers. And I think it's because you can sit on a bar stool at Miss May's next to a great New Orleanian, a great local storyteller and you can have as amazing of a time as you would at Madison Square Garden paying to see the Foo Fighters play or someone else. And I think people, everyone's had an experience like that in New Orleans. And I think that's one of the things. I think our ability to to honor, hold on to, and tell great stories yeah. and really care about that is, is a crucial part of what makes our city work. And I think bars, that's the that's the platform. That's yeah. the stage for a lot of those stories to be made and told. Right. Absolutely. This is just a, another sidebar question that I'm just curious to ask you that I've always wondered. At Sylvain, on the menu, you can order a bottle of champagne with french fries where did that come from it was my old business partner sean mccusker um that was his idea he experienced it one time at a restaurant in new york uh, and i think one, one of the things he was at a piper Heidsack event and one of the master winemakers was in town and sean wrote for playboy he wrote food stories mm-hmm. and he um he asked him what's the best food what's the what's the best thing with with, with your perfect bottle of champagne what should I be eating or what should I be preparing? And he said, French fries. And Sean was floored. And so <laughs> we put it on, on the menu. I love that. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm always thinking about that. I'm like, I need that one really celebratory, you know, thing that I'm getting those champagne and fries. I'd love to just ask you a little bit, if you don't mind, um, a few personal questions about your favorites in New sure. Orleans being such a foodie town. Sure. Do you have a favorite dish, either from one of your places or just in general? So it's contextual. So my favorite place to go with my wife for a date is Crepe Nanu. Mm. We've been going there for years, and we can, you know, if a, my parents come in town randomly and give us the opportunity to go out, we can always go to Crepe Nanu. So that's my favorite place to go when I'm on a date with my wife. Sometimes things get really intense at work with the team, and my favorite place to go with our team is Del Fuego. Mm-hmm. Fan, I mean, such an underrated restaurant. It's so great. Yeah. Um, I, I love going to Del Fuego when it's just an unexpected lunch that turns into a long two, two and a half hour lunch. Their margaritas are the best. best in the city. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. I love Patois. Patois, in my opinion, is the most important restaurant in post-Katrina New Orleans. Because I think they were the first ones, they opened in 2007. Mm-hmm. And they were the first ones to open a great restaurant where the drinks, the food, and the wine was above and beyond. But the attitude was totally casual and there was always energy and it was a quintessential neighborhood restaurant through and through. But serving impeccable food, drinks, and wine, and they got national recognition as a result of that. And they set the framework and the lens through which Cure was created, Sylvain was created, and all the other restaurants that have come behind that genre. So Patois is probably the restaurant that I, for which I have the most reverence in terms of what it means to me and to, to this restaurant community in which we all find ourselves in New Orleans. I love going to Margie's Grill. I think Margie's Grill is it's just the most entertaining, pure dining experience in terms of, you know you're gonna go there, you're gonna look at the menu, you're gonna see something really interesting and off the wall, and you're gonna get it, and it's just the ultimate kind of surprise and delight. Yeah. Get a setup, sit on that back porch, it's awesome. Um, I, 
been going to Vals a ton. Love the approachability oh. of Vals. Yeah. Love the simplicity that you can kind of go and have a couple tacos. Tacos are three bucks. You don't have to go nuts, but you, you know, I just, I like the way that they design that thing so beautifully. Um, it's such an interesting look that is purely the Cure Group's look. Mm -hmm. I think they do a great job with these refreshing takes on these really cool buildings. They started with Cure. And I think I love the way that Fredo is doing, doing his food. And it's this really nice, and if you looked at it through a, a certain lens, you would make judgments of it. And then if you talk to or engage anybody there, you're like, man, these guys, it kind of feels like a rock and roll. Yeah. Joint, you know, <laughs> and so I, I've enjoyed that recently. I love all of our own places, but I'm never going to be that guy that's like, oh, our stuff's the best. Right. That, that's, those guys are always so pompous. So, I think one of the challenges, though, is like a every restaurant in New Orleans has to be pretty good to survive, and then no doubt B, it's how do you elevate, you know, some of the classic dishes without being either cliched or heavy or you know. I think one thing we've always been clear about in in. Um, Ian McNulty wrote an article when we opened Captiville, and he asked what we thought, we're coming from these music venues and these hotel bars, what we thought our place would be in the New Orleans food community, and we have such reverence and respect for all of those restaurants, Arno's, Brennan's, Galatois, Mr. B's, that came before us and really created the platform that is New sure. Orleans cuisine, for which we're internationally renowned that to honor those guys we have to we have to create our own things and honor the principles and the foundations that they created you'll never how are you going to create another galatoise right and you're not you can't. you can't it's like it's not only a fool's errand but it's disrespectful and same thing for all of those and so i think that and then the other thing that's been magical the other side of that is that generation of restaurants and restaurateurs have been so gracious and so supportive and so giving to the next generation. Yeah. And I will tell you without hesitation that one of the things that has absolutely saved our company and then created our company is people like Melvin Rodriguez, Galatoise, Katie Kasbarian, Arnos, Archie Kasbarian, Dickie Brennan, giving us feedback, answering questions, um, just showing up and supporting us. And, right. and that just seemed so foreign to me because I thought that they might see us as competitors. and just didn't know what our place would be. T. Martin was fantastic to us. She'd come down all the time. and um, They really created, it's interesting, because all these old cultural icons in New Orleans are the ones that created this next generation of restaurants indirectly. Right. And um, that's what makes New Orleans a magical food city. Absolutely. I mean, food for me is always, has a massive storytelling element. Because Absolutely. it's like a gumbo with a story behind it is a, is a better gumbo. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. And knowing... You know where they got the sausage like what what meat marker they got the andouille from and it's whose recipe is it and whose yeah. twist on it did you put and where did you get the shrimp like what you know yeah it's it's yeah yeah i agree with you on that so what's what's next for you as things start to maybe open um, up a little more and i have been really inspired by our work at the chloe um i love our restaurants um they're they're, they're great i have learned that you know all the layers, all the stories, all the design components that exist in the Chloe exist at Sylvain, exist at Cabin, exist at Mobar in Longway, but you don't have as much time to spend with people who are there for an hour and 15 minutes or an hour and a half to dine right. or to get a drink and to get out. And so you can't really share those stories as freely. And I have learned that it's a lot more natural setting in a hotel for us to really be able to tell these stories of culture and history that are important to us. And so I think what would be next is just be
being here, drilling in this experience, giving people this sense of terroir of uptown New Orleans and, and thinking about where are some other cool neighborhoods that mm-hmm. we can maybe do something like this and tell similar stories in an authentic way. Right. Um, so one of the things we're flirting with is, is sort of referring to it as the Chloe by NOLA um, so that if we went to other cities, the Chloe by San Antonio, oh, the Chloe that. by Kansas City. What it does is it holds you accountable to making sure that what you do in each market is completely indigenous, authentic, and reverential to where it's located. And it's not the idea of these guys do this really cool thing in New Orleans and they're going to go to San Antonio and they're going to do this New Orleans thing because New Orleans is awesome and San Antonio needs to be more. It's completely the opposite. Right. Like San Antonio is amazing and they have tons of culture and history and tradition and tons of meaningful neighborhoods. Um, how can we incorporate creatives and makers to make a clear expression of a 21st century San Antonio? Right. looks like as an experience. And so that that really fascinates me. I also feel like people like us in, in our generation thinks this way is I think we will start looking to stay with these smaller hotels. You can get more deeply embedded mm-hmm. in culturally and historically significant neighborhoods Absolutely. than you can with large ones. And I think when we travel, we want to be able to get deeper into these neighborhoods and get, a again, a sense of terroir, just to feel, feel what it's like to live in those neighborhoods and what it's like to traverse these neighborhoods on foot. And, um, you know, you just can't do that with a 150-room hotel that, that has to live in a in a business district because that's the only place a building like that fits. And so um, I think we have to be able to create smaller places without compromising the food and beverage or the hospitality or the design experience. And so that's what I'm really excited about with Chloe's. We seem to really have touched upon something that um, is reflected in the popularity of Airbnb. A lot of people stay at Airbnbs because they want to get deeper into cool neighborhoods and they're willing to pay a premium over a a hotel because of the location and getting a feeling of what it's like to have an apartment in these amazing neighborhoods. So we're touching upon that without people having to compromise the hospitality experience. You can still wake up and walk downstairs and get a cup of coffee or you can still go downstairs and get a drink at the bar while your partner is still getting ready in the room and and you can still get you know everything that you need at your fingertips whether it's restaurant reservations or things like that while having the the depth of yeah. experience that you would get from getting an apartment in some of these cool neighborhoods Absolutely. so really excited I, about that i do hope that travel changes for the better after we're allowed to travel again and yeah. that people want a more kind of unique deeper experience than the you know shotgun approach of trying to see and do it all at once and maybe settling into a neighborhood or experience a little bit deeper yeah yeah and i think yeah i mean this this place is incredible for those of you listening it's in an old historic uptown mansion yeah right on, uh, on st charles avenue so the streetcar is always driving by and yeah it's got romantic you know live oaks and drippy moss it's uh it's pretty dreamy up here that's awesome thank you <laughs> yeah and you know, again the building that did it all we we didn't do anything we just cleaned it up and stayed out of the way yeah. you know well i think that's about it for me is there anything else you wanted to get i know no, you're I, super busy so i don't know i appreciate it thanks uh thanks for spending time today man yeah it's cool thank you thanks Enjoy for asking those questions it's forcing pleasure. me to think about some things i haven't thought about in a while my pleasure it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you that's thank awesome you. likewise thank okay. you